All right, well, welcome to Seacoast. My name is Josh Walters, and I'm the campus pastor here at the Mount Pleasant campus, one of the teaching pastors here at Seacoast. So glad that you're here to worship with us this weekend. I want to welcome you if you're joining us in the chapel or in the warehouse, maybe at one of the off-site campuses or online, wherever you happen to be. We are really excited that you are here as well. I hope you're having a Merry Christmas season so far. Hey, as we get started today, I want to tell you about a new friend of mine. I was at Publix this weekend and met a lady named Christine Roche Van Buren that was in front of me at the checkout line. And after we finished talking, I was so moved by her story, I asked if we could snag a selfie right there in the checkout line at Publix. I brought it to share with you right there, brother, checking out his bread, grabbing pictures with a new friend. And as we did that, I happened to notice that the guy behind us in line I uh, was a little frustrated with how long it was taking, and I thought about telling them I would pay for your groceries as well, but he had way more than 10 items in the 10-item <laughs> or less line, so I figured this was his consequence, you know, how he's, <laughs> he's paying for it. So, uh, but what I loved about her story, she told me that she accepted Christ and was baptized 10 years ago when she first started coming to Seacoast, and at the time, she was the only believer in her whole family, uh, but today... Both her husband, her sons, and her mother-in-law have all accepted Christ and been baptized. And uh, she's like, man, that's just incredible. And what I love, yeah, that's something to clap about. What I, uh, the thought that hit me as I was walking out of the grocery store that day was, man, one woman made one decision on one weekend that not only forever changed her life, but the eternal story of her family. I thought, man, I wonder how many Christines there might be in our life that are one decision away. Friends, neighbors, coworkers, your barista, whoever it might be, people in your life. Uh, there's an openness to, in the lives of people to check out church on Christmas Eve that may be hard for them to go alone, but on the arm of a trusted friend, they'll do it. So here's what I thought we would do today. Inside your worship guide, there's an invitation. If you'd go ahead and pull that out, just get your hands on it. What I'd love for us to do as we get started is just to take a minute to pray over these cards, acknowledging they're symbolic of a person in our life, someone that, that we could invite to these Christmas Eve services. And I want to pray that God would burden our heart for them, that we could love them with his love, and that as we begin to pray for them, he would begin preparing their heart, that when we extend the invitation, they're going to come, and that ultimately, similar to Christine, man, their lives and stories would forever be changed as a result of it. So let's pray for them, pray for our time together today, and we'll get started. God, we thank you so much for this season, and we praise you, God, for the openness in the lives and hearts of people to, to visit church, to take a step towards you. So I pray, God, over every person that these cards represent, acknowledging that there are friends, neighbors, coworkers, loved ones in our lives that you've given us the privilege of representing you to. God, I pray that today you bring names and faces to mind, burden our hearts, that we might love them with your love. And as we extend an invitation, God, that we would sense that you've gone before us, that you've prepared their hearts, uh, that they would come, and ultimately, God, that they would enter into a relationship with you, that their lives would be forever changed. God, we thank you for uh, today. We thank you for the privilege of just coming together as a church family, of going after you in worship, of opening your word. And I just pray, God, that you would prepare our hearts and minds that we would receive all you have for us today. Do something only you could get the credit for. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, for the last few weeks, we've been in a series called The King is Coming, which is Seacoast version of an Advent series. And we've been looking at several different gifts that Jesus brought with him, the gift of hope, the gift of love, the gift of joy. And today, I've got the opportunity to talk with you about the gift of peace. And when I first realized this was going to be my week, man, I got really excited about the topic, partly because I feel like there's a little bit of a river in me when it comes to this topic of peace. It felt very familiar. 
So I started thinking about well, what are some, some different ways that I felt peace, maybe different ways that I, I talk about it. And the first of which that came to mind was when I, I leave the office each day. I'll put all my stuff together, put my stuff in the bag, kind of walk around the office, touch base, and people are like, hey, peace out, you know? A little bit more of an urban kind of slang vibe, but it's the way I use it. So I'll get home from leaving work, and uh, it'll be time for Anna Jay to go to basketball, for Abigail to go to gymnastics, and Katie drives a 12-passenger van that we affectionately refer to as Big Alice. Uh, we're just trying to stay legal. Five kids, always got a friend. Used to be somebody in the floorboard, but not anymore. And so, um, so she'll say, hey, why don't you take my car, and uh, you can take the little kids with you. I'll prepare dinner. You can do all the runaround. And, and there's a reason that it's her car. I'll say, babe, you want me to roll up in that piece? Come on, you know? <laughs> Different kind of piece, I realize, but one way... <laughs> that I use the word, or when I get somewhere, it's a big car. I'll get somewhere and park it, and somebody will roll up a little too close to Big Alice, making it hard for me to get out of the car. So I have to get on and be like, hey, you want a piece of me? You know? <laughs> Come on. A piece of work, man. Come on. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I realize that in talking about peace, man, it's familiar, but I really don't even use the word very much, which is only a problem if you read the Bible, because <laughs> from cover to cover, man, it serves as a foundation for our faith. It's all about peace. For example, God the Father, there at the top of your outline, he's referred to throughout Scripture as the God of peace. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The God of peace. His son, Jesus, is referred to as the Prince of Peace. Hundreds of years before he was born, the prophet Isaiah would say in chapter 9, verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The gospel, the good news about Jesus' life and death and resurrection conquering sin so that we could have a relationship with God is referred to in Scripture as the gospel of peace. In Ephesians 6, there's a passage about us putting on the full armor of God so that we might take a stand against the enemy and his schemes to come against us. And the last portion of that passage says, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. God the Father, his Son, his gospel. Man, peace is a foundation of our faith. Yet if I'm honest, as a friend, as one of your pastors, man, I don't know that I always feel it or see it in my life. In fact, if I were to ask my five best friends to pick five or ten words that most describe me, I don't know that peace would even make the list, especially this time of year. Man, there's so many parties, presents to buy, trips to plan for, run around to wrap up the year, financial strains. Man, there's just a lot of pressure, a lot of stress. Peace isn't a reality that I walk in each day. I don't always see it in my home. Man, if I watch the news or if I read it in the paper, I wouldn't say that peace on earth is something that I see. It's not something that we read about. In fact, that phrase, peace on earth, if you were to do a word search of that, that phrase in Scripture, it's only used one time by Jesus in all of Scripture. It's found there on your outline in Luke 12, 51. Do you think that I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. Put that on your Christmas card. <laughs> peace on earth. Psych. You know, it's like, like, I don't work for nobody. But the reality is that peace on earth isn't even a promise in scripture. In fact, quite the opposite is true. 
John 16, Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. Meaning you're going to eat healthy. You're going to spend a little extra and shop at Whole Foods. You're going to bake your own kale chips. You're going to make all the right choices, but you're still going to get sick. You're going to do all the maintenance on your car. You're going to buy a smart car, you know. Do all the work on it. Take care of it, but it's still going to break down. For me, it's a KitchenAid refrigerator. It's only two years old. That's broke six times <laughs> in two years. They've already replaced it once, and the new one's broke two more times, you know? There's going to be drama. There's going to be trouble. I mean, there's going to be issues. He says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. We're all going to have things that rob us of peace in our life. So what is that for you? What robs you of peace? A couple thoughts for you there on your outline, the first of which is difficult circumstances. Man, we've all had those. There are those seasons where you would use the phrase, man, when it rains, it pours, right? Like one thing happened leads to another. You're like, oh, gosh, why? You know, you can have, be in perfect peace, and all of a sudden it's gone. Jeremiah 4.20 there on your outline says, disaster follows disaster. The whole land lies in ruins. Man, it can feel that way when you're facing a difficult circumstance. The whole land, everything is awful, you know? It's not true. But when you're in the midst of a difficult circumstance, man, it sure can't feel that way. Second thing there on your outline is frustrating people. Now, this is a real important moment. You stay focused on me. You know? <laughs> Don't look to the spouse person beside you, whoever it might be. <laughs> frustrating people. and can rob you of peace. The other day, I was driving to Publix in North Mount Pleasant. And this might be a teaching moment for some of y'all, but there's a law or rule that says people in the roundabout have the right of way. Have you heard about that before? <laughs> well, I was, I was going to uh, Publix, and I turn in, I enter into the roundabout, and homeboy leaving the neighborhood apparently didn't know about this rule. And so he almost T-boned me. I had three kids in the car. It was like a roller coaster. They were, ah! you know, so everybody's screaming. So I go about, we, we didn't get hit, I pull into Publix, and it was a good day for me in that I got a space almost up at the front of the store. And so, uh, so that was great. As I went to get out of the car, realized that the guy that had almost hit me had followed me into the parking lot, and he parked right behind me. And so as I, I'm getting out of the car, he's, you maniac driver, oh, you're out of oh, you know, just laid into me. And because there's people going in and out of the store, crossing the road, everybody's like, you evil boy. You know, like everybody's just thinking I did something awful to this man, but I did nothing. And so as your pastor, I, I feel this like anger come out in me and I start to move towards this car thinking I may well lay hands on this gentleman. You know? <laughs> I'm going to bless him. I don't know how, you know, <laughs> didn't show it on my face. But as I moved towards his car, he started to move off, still yelling. People just looking at me. I, I felt like I needed to say, I didn't do anything really, you know, <laughs> Kids are like, Daddy, why was he yelling? I was like, oh, I don't know. So I push around the grocery store for the next 45 minutes rehearsing that conversation. Thinking like, you should have get back in the car and followed after him. You're hardcore. I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> With three kids in the car, Daddy, stop. You know, <laughs> it's like, but frustrating people. I don't know what we were doing before that interaction. Probably singing worship music and praying as a family. <laughs> <laughs> But I was at peace, <laughs> and in a moment, it was gone. Man, frustrating people can do that. Psalm 109.3 says, With words of hatred, they surround me. They attack me without cause. And it can feel that way. 
with frustrating people in your life, man, it can feel like they've surrounded you. You can't escape. It's maddening. But oftentimes, man, it's one person, two people, but you just can't escape it. Number three, their uncontrollable worry. Uncontrollable worry will rob us of peace. And it's something I venture to say most of us, if not all of us, struggle with in some area of our lives. It's not something that you want, something that you sign up for. You pray that it would go away. You don't want to worry, but you can't help but worry. A couple years ago, I went on the men's hike here with the church, and uh, worry, this, this anxiety, used to be something that I'd really struggle with. It'd come on me out of nowhere, and all of a sudden, man, I'd feel uh, my chest getting tight, uh, shortness of breath. Then I would start getting worried or panicked because I was feeling panicked. It's this crazy cycle. You just can't escape, man. It's going to run its course. And so I, I pulled into the Chick-fil-A drive-thru in North Mount Pleasant. And it's one of those drive throughs that once you pull in, you're committed. Uh, you, there's a brick wall on one side and the store on the other. I ain't no change in your mind. Let's go somewhere else. No, we're here, you know. And so I pull in. A car pulls in behind me. And immediately I have this vision of us being on the mountain that next Friday. My, my chest starts tightening, I get shortness of breath, I'm starting to get panicked, realizing that, man, if something happens while we're on the mountain, I'm not going to have anywhere to go. Uh, there ain't no medication I can go pick up, you know, and so it just got, got me panicked. I'm putting the window down, lady in the drive-thru, can I help you? My pleasure, you know. Give some water. <laughs> Cold washcloth, you know. <laughs> and so a week later, we're on the hike that Friday. We round the mountain early one morning, and man, immediately I catch this vision of me in the drive-thru, in the Chick-fil-A line, nowhere to go. This panic comes over me. 25 guys on my team. I'm unzipping my jacket, you know, moving my bag around. I have to end up saying, hey guys, can we stop just a minute? Uh, kind of unpack this story. I've struggled with anxiety. They, they break up my whole pack, carry everything for me. And man, right there on the mountain, they pray over me, lay hands on me. It was a powerful moment, just a ministry to me, and honestly, I don't think I've struggled with it at all in the same way since. But, man, it was embarrassing. I didn't want to have to call a timeout and say, hey, I'm worried, you know, that's, <laughs> what's going to happen around the corner? <laughs> embarrassing. I didn't want to do it. I mean, worry feels that way. Jeremiah 6, 24 says, we have heard reports about them, and our hands hang limp. Anguish has gripped us pain like that of a woman in labor. Man, that uncontrollable worry feels like it just gets its claws on you. You can't escape it. It is going to run its course. Pain like a woman in labor. It's going to hurt. You feel like you can't do anything about it. So what is it for you? What robs you of peace? There's a line there on the back of your outline. Maybe it's pertaining to a, a circumstance or a relationship, worry in your life. Maybe this would be the opportunity for you to just draw an arrow to the person beside you. Communicate. <laughs> Brother, you a source of frustration in my life, you know. That's work, a relationship, whatever it is. Maybe just write it out there on that line. Because oftentimes, until you label it, until you identify it, call it for what it is, you can't do anything about it. What robs you of peace? We all have something. And the good news for each of us today, the good news in this message is that Jesus brought a gift of peace. Not just a peace that we could walk in throughout the holiday season, but a peace that we might remain in and live in. That in a world filled with trouble, we would be a people marked by peace. John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. See, if your expectation is that we might have peace on earth, man, don't hold your breath. 
Because it's not going to come until the Prince of Peace himself returns and makes all things new. But if your expectation or desire is that you might experience peace on earth in the midst of trouble, that you would walk with it, live with it, that there would be a peace in your heart regardless of what's going on around you, that is very much a possibility, a gift that is available for you today. So the question then is, how do I experience God's peace? A couple thoughts for us there on your outline. The first of which is that we have to receive God's pardon. Receive God's pardon. A pardon is when someone who is in a position of authority forgives or releases you from the consequences of your offense. Right after I graduated high school, my parents bought me a new Jeep Grand Cherokee. And at the time, man, it was my dream car. Up to that point, I had driven an 89 Honda Accord hatchback. It was blue on the outside, blue on the inside, way more blue than anybody ever cared to have in their car. I was so excited about this car. I had applied late to the College of Charleston, and unfortunately, all the on-campus housing was taken. So I had to get a house off campus. <laughs> and so it was shaping up to be an awesome year. You know, <laughs> new car, house off campus, Charleston, come on, baby. It was going to be great. I was so excited. Well, I had accepted Christ my junior year of high school, and my faith journey had looked real up and down. I played football, baseball, and basketball, which I'm sure you can tell just by... <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I usually sat the bench, but I made the team, so I felt kind of good about it. But none of my friends were believers. And so I would be strong for two or three months, continue to hang with them, but then I'd go out one night and make a dumb decision, feel like I'd ruined my testimony, struggle for a couple weeks. And so I was really excited about going to college uh, because I knew, man, I'm going to surround myself with the right people, get involved in FCA. I'd already heard and learned about Seacoast. I was excited to come and, and get plugged in. Well, the night before I left, my car was packed with all my stuff to go to college, spent the whole afternoon hanging out with all my high school buddies. And while we were there over the course of the day playing volleyball, you know, sports, just a fun day, I had a couple drinks with the guys. And that night when I left, I was driving two miles to the, guy, the guy's house that was going to be my roommate here when we moved in to the, uh, to the new house. And while I was driving from one house to another, I got pulled over. And when I got pulled, I, I blew under the legal limit. I passed his field sobriety test. But because I was underage and had had anything to drink at all, he arrested me. And I called my mom. My mom and dad came and got me. They drove my new car home. And that next morning, my mom drove my new car, swung by Walmart, got me a bike. <laughs> Upon which... <laughs> She dropped me off at my house, off campus. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the year was looking very different. You know? But part of my consequence was that I had to go to this class twice a week on the far side of the, the island about the dangers of abusing alcohol. And if I finished that class, then the judge would sign off on a sheet of paper, releasing that, uh, that offense from my record, which really doesn't matter now that I've told 15,000 of my closest <laughs> friends in the event any of you are doing background checks, it used to be on there, but it's not anymore, because you know? I finished the class on my bike. You know? I was forgiven of it. Similarly, that's what our relationship with Christ accomplishes, except for with Him, there's no class that we have to attend. There's no additional work that you have to do. There's nothing that you have to prove, no striving on your part. You don't have to read your Bible a certain number of days. You don't have to attend church for a year before it happens. All you have to do is enter in to a relationship with God. And through faith in Jesus Christ, you're justified, just as if you'd never sinned. That when God looks down on you, 
He doesn't see the behavior, the, the things in your past, the things that you're struggling with today. You're covered by the blood of Christ. Your price has been paid in full. Romans 5.1 says it this way, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're forgiven in full because of what he accomplished on the cross. And for many of us this Christmas, us experiencing peace, us remaining in it next year is going to begin with us receiving God's pardon and entering into a relationship with him through Christ. So the first thing that we do is receive God's pardon. Secondly, there in your outline, we can run to God's presence. Run to God's presence. A couple weeks ago, Katie went on a missions trip to Togo. She's been working with some missionaries there on establishing a micro-enterprise where we employ widows and train them to sew and uh, design clothing that's fashioned for American women that they actually make there. It's been a cool thing to see God work through, excited about what he's doing. But while she was gone, uh, we had purchased these international cell phone plans and done all this work so that we could communicate some while she was gone and it not cost me another mortgage like last time. Um, and so while she was gone, though, she had limited um, access to Wi-Fi or any kind of signal. And so we would talk like, you know, try to call each other probably 12 times and only get a minute worth of conversation in. You know, it was one of those, hey, ha. oh, man, I have to dial it all over again. And so finally, we could text, though, through this app called WhatsApp. And so finally I told her, hey, will you just treat, treat this like a journal? Text me about your day, how you're feeling, conversations you've had, stuff you're struggling with, how I can pray for you. Because I realized while she was gone, that, man, she is my person. Some of y'all are saying, well, I'm glad you figured that out. You know? <laughs> it's called a wife. You know? <laughs> Five kids later, it's a good realization. You know? But I just realized, man, there's something about being near her, feeling close to her, being around her that just brings peace to me. It's very similar to our relationship with God. Man, running to his presence, something about just being near him. It's how I feel in the house of God on a Sunday. Man, there's weeks where when worship starts, I can't wait to engage, to raise my hands, to try to sing, keyword, try to sing, you know, but go out, take notes like crazy, believing God has a word for me that weekend. There's weeks where I'll just need to come and just sit in his presence and let the music kind of wash over me. But something about just being before him, something about just being around Katie. Man, oftentimes there's just power in presence. If we'll run to his presence in the midst of whatever trouble comes our way, if our first thought might not be, man, how can I solve this? How do I fix this? Who do I call to help me with this? But if our initial thought is, God, help me with this. I trust you, God, show up in this. Isaiah 26.3 says it this way. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. And I'm loving everything about that perfect peace. When our minds are steadfast, when stuff comes our way, if he is our, our first call, if we're going to phone a friend, man, I'm going to turn to him. I'm going to lean on him, rely, prop myself up on his word. God, show up in this. He'll bring about perfect peace. So we can experience God's peace when we receive God's pardon, when we run to God's presence. Number three, when we respect God's principles. Respect God's principles. And we do this one of two ways. The first way is in obedience. There's some things laid out in his word that we simply need to be obedient to, to respond, yes, God, and, and we will experience his peace. Psalm 119, 165 says, great peace have those who love your law and nothing can make them stumble. By those who love your law, it means those who delight themselves in the word of God. 
They don't see it as a set of rules that they have to live by. They see it as a way of life they, they get to experience. When the Bible talks about marriage, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Meaning that as a husband, my life is supposed to be marked by, a, by sacrifice. I can ask myself, am I loving her sacrificially? Are my behaviors, is my life marked by sacrifice? If you really want to know, you can ask her. Though I would encourage you to ask yourself first, to give you a little time to change a few things, you know, <laughs> before you ask her. <laughs> you can point back to, well, I, tr I tried that one time, you know. And your finances. God wants us to be able to give with a joyful, with a cheerful heart. Scripture says each man must decide in his heart what he'll give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for the Lord loves a cheerful giver. He wants us to give with joy because of how much he's given us. And his standard, his desire for us is the tithe, 10%. And it's not just any 10%, it's the first 10%, our first fruits. And it's the only area of scripture where God says, test me in this. It, it's hard, it's gonna feel painful. You might have to have your wife do it because you can't bear to put the check down. But if you'll test me in this, see if I won't pour out so much blessing that you won't have room for it. Nearly every area of our life, how you relate to your children, your parents, orphans, widows, how you address anger and rage and malice, divorce, adultery. There are very few things you could walk through that aren't laid out in Scripture, but the only way that you're going to know them and the only way you're going to be able to respond in obedience to them is when you commit to run to His presence, to delight yourself in His Word. And man, when you do, when you know it, and when you respond in obedience to it, are you going to blow it? You better believe it. You're not going to be able to do it on your own. You're not going to be able to do it every day. But if you start each day saying, God, I'm going to delight in your law. I'm going to respond in obedience to you. Man, he will bring about a peace in your life that only he could accomplish. So the first way we do that is by obedience. The second way that we do it, that we respect God's principles, is in faith. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Underline that word rule for me. It literally means to umpire. See, while there's many aspects of your life that are going to be black and white, how do I treat my wife? How do I steward my finances? We face a lot of decisions every day that seem to be more gray. Do I date this girl? Do I marry this guy? Do I go to that college? Do I trans transfer to this school? Do I major in this? Do we buy that house? Do we give this away? So many decisions that don't seem clear in Scripture that how, how are we supposed to make them with confidence? Well, this passage is saying, allow the peace of Christ, the Prince of Peace, to rule in your hearts. So practically, that would look like you saying, okay, God, I'm going to pray about this. Maybe it's one time, maybe it's over a course of a couple days, and I'm going to trust in your peace. If you don't know what to do and you, you pray through it, and at the end of a couple days, you have perfect peace in your heart, even if it doesn't seem to make sense. You don't have the money, you don't have the, logistically, you can't figure out how it's going to happen, but you can move forward because you've allowed his peace to reign in your heart. And if you have peace, you can trust that it's his will. If you're facing a decision and you pray about it and you're still in knots and anxious and can't sleep, man, you allowing his peace to rule, saying, okay, God, I'm going to trust this isn't you because I do not have peace about it. There's times when you proactively engage and allow his peace to rule, but there's other times where the Prince of Peace just shows up. Maybe you get a friend request on Facebook. Typically, you just go through them, accept, accept, accept not think much about it, but there's one girl, there's one guy, and man, for whatever reason, right before you click accept, there's a check in your spirit. Maybe you're not supposed to be connected with this person. Maybe this isn't going to be a life-giving life relationship for you to enter into. 
Whatever the case, when you allow his peace to rule in your heart, and you will experience peace as a result of it. So we respect his principles in obedience and in faith. Lastly, there on your outline, we can experience God's peace when we rely on God's provision. Rely on God's provision. I'm not just talking about financially here either. Any, any need you might have in your life. Maybe it's a health crisis, a son or a daughter, a relational issue, something at work. Man, you are in crisis, and it's messing you up. You can rely on God's provision to bring about the, the comfort, the encouragement, the resources that you need. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. See, when I read that word guard, typically I think about somebody that stands outside of a door, little thing in their ear, you know, kind of quiet, keeping anyone from entering in. It's kind of a, a defensive posture. But what I, I love about this word guard, when the Prince of Peace guards our hearts and minds, it's an offensive posture. The word literally means to be a watcher in advance, meaning he's looking ahead around corners of stuff coming your way. I'm reminded of passages like, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. When I think about that kind of peace, like if I were to ask you to define peace, oftentimes we would say, well, peace is the absence of trouble. And that's kind of defies true, but that's defining it in a negative connotation. Peace isn't the absence of anything. It is the presence of someone. And it is the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit to make the mysteries of Christ made known to us. And man, when we're struggling with anything, when you're troubled with anything in, your, in our life and you turn to him, you give it to him repeatedly in prayer, Man, the Prince of Peace will guard your heart and mind in a, in a way that surpasses understanding. You could be facing the most difficult news you've ever received, the most difficult circumstance you've ever walked through. Yet for some reason, you have peace in your spirit. I don't think I've seen anybody walk that or, or model that better than my dad. He's a Marine, served in active duty for 23 years and uh, retired. And, and early on, his, his early 50s, um, uh, was getting out of bed one day. He had always had bad blood flow in his ankles, so he would kind of let, let his legs, legs hang off the bed and shake them a little bit, get the blood flowing. Well, they heard a sound early one morning. He jumped out of bed and shattered his ankle. Had to have reconstructive surgery, and at the time, he was a pretty big guy, and so he was laid up on the couch for a while, and while he was laid up on the couch, got pneumonia, and so uh, they went to scan his chest to see how bad the pneumonia was and realized that he had stage four lymphoma. And man, in the course of a couple weeks, life totally changed. But I've seen him model a peace, live with a peace that, man, has marked me, has shown me just how real, just how powerful it is. This week, he was in town for a couple days, and I got to sit down with him. I'd love to share a little bit of the story with you. Dad, I know you've been through a lot, you know, in life, but in December of 2007, we found out some news that would... Uh, really rock all of our worlds a bit. Talk with me a little bit about that day. Um, went to the doctor with you and Libby went, and she told me I had cancer. And I was sort of like, that doesn't sound right. Um, but it was. I went home, and because my foot was still in a cast, and I got mad, I, I ran the gauntlet of emotions. Anger, uh, disappointment crying, yelling, uh, 
disbelief. And it finally just sunk in that this is real. This is, this is your life now and you need to learn to deal with it. And that's when I prayed and realized I didn't have to deal with it. Mm. I mean, I have great, a great doctor and great nurses and they diagnose and they treat, but they don't cure and they don't heal. And only one person does that, and so I gave it to him. Hmm. I said, Lord, this is yours, because yeah. uh, I sure can't deal with this mess. When I've heard you talk about that uh, story, each time you said from, really from that day forward, you felt peace. And yeah. I feel like I've seen, even when I haven't, when, when mom hasn't, I've seen you with a kind of peace that's hard for me to understand. Talk to me a little bit about what that's felt like, looked like. Well, it's hard to describe, I think. I mean, I just, I don't worry about it. There's nothing I can do. Um, I believe with all my heart that there's a reason behind this. Whatever it is, God, there's a purpose in this. And God's, God's got a plan. I'm part of the plan. I don't need to understand the plan. I just know I'm in it. And I'm in it for the long haul, and I'm gonna do all I can do while I'm here. So how have you stayed tethered to him, or or what have you done to try to stay in his will? What's oh, life um, like? I get up every morning around five o'clock, which drives your mother crazy. <laughs> <laughs> she said, you're the only person I know who retires and gets up earlier than you used to. I get up at five o'clock in the morning, make coffee, I read my Bible, I do my devotional. Um, I scribble my notes. I highlight my Bible. My Bible looks like it's been in a combat zone. It's got highlights <laughs> and the pages are torn and just. Whereas it used to look pretty pristine. Oh, yeah. For, <laughs> for 54 years, that Bible looked like a champ. <laughs> I could have put it in a Bible contest and I would have won because it weren't dirty at all. And now it really, I mean, I've had to tape the cover back on a few times and Libby said, let me get you a new Bible. No. This one has experience. <laughs> and she looks at me like, what? It's a trophy. It's yeah. something to be proud of. And, uh, I, I just read my Bible, I get up, I read my Bible before, all my reasons before were the same for everything. I don't have time. I, I'd love to read my Bible and devotion. I don't have time, I work, I don't have time. What about going to church? Oh man, I'd love to help out at church. I don't have time. I work a lot, when you know I worked a lot. Yeah. Um, everything, the answer for everything was, I just don't have time. Yeah. Well, that day in December, God said, you want time? <laughs> Boom, brother, you got it. So talk to me talk to me about so now seven years have passed. Does that peace you felt on the second day does it feel the same way today? Is yeah. There... Um I don't worry about it. There's nothing I can do to change it. There's nothing I can do to alter it. It's gonna be what it's gonna be. And um I don't wanna be one of these people that when I go they say, well, he had cancer. He just got to be a grumpy old man and passed away. I'm going to be up irritating people and bothering people and asking questions. I mean, I want to go out. I may not go out like Elijah in a chariot of fire, but they're going to know I was around. <laughs> and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be doing something. I'm going to do something for somebody somewhere. I tell you, as a, as a son, talking about his dad, he's a different man. He's a different man because of cancer. God's used the most devastating news to, to transform his marriage, 
to bring about blessing, to draw him to the Lord. He, he walks and lives in a sense of peace, a hunger for God, a desire to walk with him, to pursue him that I'd never seen before in my life. You know, there's a lot of aspects of our faith that can seem contrived. You see them lived out in other people, their expression of their experience with God, and you question, man, is that real? You know, Could I live like that? Because I just don't feel that right now. But I want you to know today, the peace, the gift of peace that we can live in and experience in God is real. It's a gift available for you, not just this Christmas, but that you might live in, that you might remain in. So here's what I'd love to do here in Mount Pleasant and across all of our campuses. If you'd bow your head for just a moment, close your eyes as we close. I'm curious for you today in your life, how many of you would say by a show of hands that you could use, you, could, you would like to experience the peace of God in some area of your life today? By you raising your hand, what I'd love for us to do is just to take a moment to pray over you. As you acknowledging to God, I can't manage this. I can't control this. But God, today I need your peace. I want to receive that gift of peace that my life might be marked by something that powerful, that tangible. In the midst of chaos around me, I can live in peace. So God, we thank you so much for this day. I praise you for the gift of peace and the hundreds of hands all across this room and at our campuses that have gone up. God, by raise of hands, we just proclaim to you, God, we need you as the Prince of Peace to reign over the circumstances of our life. We acknowledge your word. You say, in this world, we will have trouble. Allow us today to take heart that you have overcome the world. You tell us not to be anxious about anything but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving to present our requests to you. So we do that now. God, with hands raised to you, we give you those relationships, those circumstances, that diagnosis, that financial need, that burden that we can't lay down or forget about. And you say that you will guard our hearts and minds, that you will bring peace in a way that surpasses understanding. God, would you do that today, not just in these circumstances, but in our lives. Draw us, God, to you that our lives would be marked by peace. In Jesus' name, amen.